This podcast is presented to you by the School of Divinity at Gardner-Webb University in Boiling Springs, North Carolina. The School of Divinity at Gardner-Webb University exists to prepare men and women for Christian ministry, namely the work of the Lord's Church. Our degrees, the Master of Divinity and the Doctorate of Ministry, are carefully designed to equip and encourage ministers for the calling that God has placed on their lives. The Master of Divinity offers six concentrations, and the Doctor of Ministry can be obtained in either Christian ministries or pastoral care and counseling. Should God have called you to any number of ministry vocations, or if you aren't quite sure which one yet, you will find a place here at Garden Web where, as our former dean once said, your heart and your head can be friends. The School of Divinity strives to provide a holistic education that stretches the mind, stirs the heart, and prepares the call for Christian ministry. Immerse yourself in the life of the community and visit gardner-web.edu backslash divinity for more information. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. Our podcast this week will focus in on ChurchWorks, CBF's three-day event for educators that will take place in San Antonio, Texas in February. Our conversation will zero in on John Singletary, who will be our keynote speaker, and Josh Spate, who coordinates the event. Before we get to our conversation with these two guys, we want to let you know about some things that are happening for 2018. So much of this has to do with you, the listener. You're listening to these episodes, you're sharing them, you're generating conversation from them, and I'm so thankful for you. Um, You are giving me life as I have the privilege of hosting this podcast. The first thing we'll let you know about is that we are considering expanding the podcast to three to four episodes a month. And so we want to hear back from you. Who do you want to hear stories about? What are some practitioners and authors that we should be looking at? I also want to let you know about some of the cool episodes we have coming up in 2018. Um, Our first episode in January will feature in on civil rights. This will be a five-day, 500-mile trek um, from the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, to New Orleans, stopping along the way at key civil rights locations. Hannah McMahon from the New Baptist Covenant, Michelle Higgins, the Director of Faith for Justice, Emma Green, the Religion and Political Writer for The Atlantic, The author, Jennifer Harvey, who wrote Raising White Kids, Bringing Up Children in a Racially Unjust America. Melvin Bray, the storyteller and author of Better. Caitlin Betty of Christianity Today, our General Assembly keynote speaker. These are just a few episodes to expect here in the first few months of the year. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this podcast. Now on to our conversation about church works. Our guests for this week's podcast are John Singletary and Josh Spate. John is the Dean of the Diana R. Garland School of Social Work at Baylor University. He earned a PhD in MSW at VCU, uh, MDiv from VTSR, and a BA from Baylor. He currently is providing pastoral care and counseling to the university after an abysmal 1-11 football season. Uh, Josh Spate is the CBF Missional Congregations Resource uh, Manager. Basically, what that means is Josh works alongside our congregations and ministers to develop partnerships and resources for the betterment of the kingdom of God. In layman's terms, that means Josh Spate is the mother load of awesomeness. Gentlemen, thank you for joining the conversation today. Thanks for having us, Andy. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's nice to get away from those pastoral care duties that you mentioned. For, <laughs> you know. Now, obviously, I, I wish I could say I was kidding about, um, you know, the renewal after you're trying to bring to the campus after this embarrassing football season. But tell us, tell us more about what you really do at Baylor. <laughs> well, we were quite intentional this year about talking about the process rather than the results during football season, uh, which is important because of uh, the other events that led to all the changes in the football team, which I mentioned because our school of social work really has been able to play a role in the aftermath of the sexual uh, assault experiences that really did plague our campus and athletics uh, several years ago. Uh, here in the Diana Garland School of Social Work, we have as our primary focus educating social workers for service and leadership in the profession, both here and throughout the world. At the same time, we engage in research uh, related to the profession but with a significant focus on congregations. Uh, and over the past few years, we really were able to focus on some trauma responses. And it's been really meaningful work, both here on campus and how we've been able to translate that in our teaching and our research. So I love everything we get to do here uh, in our school. And it's been a great experience being part of this Baylor community. Now, as, as we follow your education track, I mean, Obviously, um, social work is is embedded within your your calling. Um, so, why 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 the focus of, of social work for your vocational calling? Yeah, it's, it's it was an interesting journey. I attended Baylor for undergrad, and then went to seminary because that's what all uh, Christian young men did in my day when we didn't know what else to do at the end of earning a degree, and. I really did have a sense of calling, but wasn't really sure what that meant. I had a grandfather whom I went to for wisdom, and he was pretty clear in telling me that if I didn't have a blinding light, Apostle Paul experience calling me to the pastorate, then I probably wasn't called. And I really didn't agree with that. I knew that calling meant something to me, but it probably wasn't the pastorate. So seminary did seem like an important, meaningful next step. But while I was there, I really did have a, a, a hungering and a passion for social justice and social service and a longing to see the church do more in its community and to serve the people who surround the church as well as those within it. And seminary just didn't offer much in, in, in those areas except for pastoral care. So halfway through the seminary experience, our seminary, BTSR, started a dual degree in social work. And I ended up falling in love with social work. I really had no idea what it was uh, until I signed up for the program to be a part of a dual degree experience. And while I was there, learned some great skills, learned that it was a profession that really was open to working with religious organizations and congregations, and left wanting more, having more questions about how can we be effective in what we're doing? How do we really provide partnerships in communities to make a difference in those communities and for churches to be a part of that work and ended up going back to to do my phd also at vcu while we were there in richmond and then had the opportunity to, to come back to baylor and never really envisioned myself doing that but jumped at the chance and have had a great 15 years so far 
John, as you as you think around uh, this work of of, of training others um, who are going into this vocational field, what's the biggest challenge you face? Well, just preparing people to respond to the needs of a hurting world is daunting, and there are so many needs in our society and, and around the world, and I like so many people have seen ways in which those have been escalated in the past year, perhaps as a part of the election, but I, I really think we're just seeing uh, changes in society that uh, some of which are for good, but some of which have a lot of pain associated with them. And everywhere we look, we see the effects of racism in our society. We see ways that women are still being sexualized and victimized and marginalized. We see uh, so many needs both at home and around the world from war and disease. And, and here we are trying to prepare students to address those kinds of things. It's, it's, it's not easy. So providing skills to address needs is in and of itself pretty difficult work. But then trying to prepare students to serve over the long haul really is a challenge. But that's one of the reasons why I'm so glad I'm at Baylor, because here we really do get to talk about the vocation of social work. We really do get to, to talk about social work as ministry and calling. We get to talk about the faith that motivates us and inspires us. will be the same faith that carries us into the future as we seek to be faithful to God's calling in our, in our lives. Uh, so there's quite a bit about it that is quite difficult, but it's also so rewarding to, to hear alumni come back and share their stories of where they're plugging in to communities, uh, making a difference really all around the world. John, uh, I'm a Truett grad myself, and I've got a lot of colleagues who have done the dual degree there through both Truett and through the, the School of Social Work there, so I've seen the good work that's come through the both schools there. So, you know, I'm curious from your perspective, you know, what, what are the things that you celebrate, have, you know, having been doing this now for 15 years, what are the, what are the things that you are celebrating uh, after doing this work and uh, that you're proud of? Wow. Thanks, Josh. Well, I, I really am proud of our partnership with Truett Seminary. Uh, it's one of the ways that shapes how so many of our students understand their sense of calling. And recently, we've invested even more in that relationship. We have a new appointment of two shared faculty with the seminary whose focus is on uh, congregational service and leadership. One is an endowed chair in congregation and community health. So all of that speaks to, to some elements that we really are proud of in the life of our school. The school has grown by leaps and, and bounds. We've uh, added a Houston campus in recent years and are really making some uh, advances there in terms of service to that community, which is one of our country's most diverse cities and largest cities, and just such a uh, great opportunity for us to, to plug into some specific needs in uh, that large metropolitan area here uh, in Texas. We also have a, a program that's called the Global Mission Leadership Program that provides us with an opportunity to scholarship international leaders to come and spend 
two years with us earning their MSW with a commitment to return home to lead in a Christian organization in their home country. It's kind of a reverse missions approach. While we have many students who are American who want to go serve overseas, yeah. we really are proud of this program that brings international Christian leaders to prepare with a commitment to going back to their home country where they already have connections and a knowledge base and a wisdom about the workings of their community and, and additional skills and insights that, that they are able to learn as a part of an MSW program really does set them up for success uh, in, in serving their own people in their own native land. Hmm. Uh, so I think, um, like I said, I've seen a lot of good, uh, good things that have come out of, you know, both, both programs, the little degree, and then those that just do social work that don't, you know, do it with a, a sense of vocational ministry. Um, but I agree the celebration of, the, of that tie into Truett Seminary is definitely one of the things that I'm proud of as, a, as an alum of Baylor. Um, I think it's, it's essential to tie in um, that tying in social work and the work of the church, that those things shouldn't be separated necessarily, that they should go hand in hand more often than not. Um, that working on the work of social work and what you are and your um, what your school is teaching and focused on is also a lot of what ministers should also have a not necessarily a passion for but just an inkling to be paying attention to and doing referrals towards and paying attention to uh, more often than perhaps they did 40 and 50 years ago or even you know 15 20 years ago Um, and so just thinking about how those go hand in hand and so I I appreciate what Baylor has been leading and doing and the work that uh, that that obviously you know Diana led and that now that you're helping to lead with the with your colleagues at the school. One of the things we know is true is the pastors can't do it all and at the same time churches expect them to do it all. Right. So <laughs> right. We, we really try to prov- provide some support to churches. We, we're, of course, educating these dual degree students, but we also do some education for churches around what various professionals can do to provide support to the church staff, what different community organizations can do who can be invaluable partners for church leaders. And we provide training on how to understand the needs and the opportunities in a community, how to nurture those partnerships, the role a church can provide, the role these different organizations can provide, and the role that professionals can provide, either social workers who are in the larger community or social workers that congregations can hire and bring on staff. We have a network of a couple of dozen alumni who are working in church settings in a variety of roles. Some are now lead pastors of of churches, and several of those are in CBF churches. But we have others who are on staff in a variety of of roles in congregational life. And they really do bring a a pretty unique skill set. One of the things that we talk about a lot in our schools, the ethical integration of faith and practice. So we want our students to understand the needs that, that people have and, and how vulnerable people often are when they're, when they're experiencing a crisis or trauma in a deep place of need and, and how faith can sustain them, be a strength and a resource for them, but how at times faith or at least organized religion has, has provided hurt and harm. And we want our students and our alumni to be sensitive to that and to really understand the role that uh, faith can play, 
the role that a social worker can play, the role that a community of faith can play, and the role that the larger community plays in a person's life. Just a pretty holistic approach to understanding human needs, and, and most people just don't understand social work to be that uh, sophisticated of a response to, to care. Hmm. Well, John, just listening to you uh, just now, and, and, and earlier you alluded to this, that this is, uh, this is challenging work. I mean, if you just look at the headlines of the last week, let alone the last month and year, I mean, we see just how challenging um, of a world we live in. So as you think around um, not only your calling to social work and the calling of training others to social work, where do you get your energy to continue this work? <laughs> well, I don't know if I can say my family provides me with energy or, or drains it from me. Sorry, kids. No offense. <laughs> you know, I just imagine your children bringing this up like 20 years from now, sitting on the psychiatrist's chair and they'll just play <laughs> said... and we'll be accomplices to, to that meeting. Thanks, John. I really appreciate that. <laughs> no, no problem. No problem. Well, I often, I'm the father of four and they're all in the adolescent stage of life. So I probably don't need to say anything else. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> I really talk about parenting as my full-time job, and being a dean is kind of a hobby I've developed. <laughs> it's what you do in the in-between times. <laughs> but I'm grateful for family. I'm grateful for uh, my community of faith, my family. We're members at Calvary Baptist Church here in Waco. I'm grateful for the community that Baylor is. I just try not to take those things for granted. I really try to... Experience and express gratitude for the uh, relationships in my life and, and and what they mean and the ways that they do nourish me and strengthen me. I also really value self care. Uh, social workers talk about a lot. We don't always practice it well, but I really do try to to make commitments uh, to my own well being as a social worker, minister, and administrator. Well, I mean, I wish I could say, uh, John, we brought you on just to bust on the Baylor Bears football program. Uh, most likely, you know, we, the we did not. Maybe you did it. Yeah, the, or maybe the, the basketball season is around the corner. It's actually just begun. Wow. We have a bright future here with the men's team and the Lady Bears. So watch you, out. You never, you never really uh, hope to hear that out of a uh, university in Texas. It's always kind of, you know, football, football, football. But um, John is our keynote speaker this year for, uh, for ChurchWorks. Josh, tell us a little bit more about ChurchWorks. Right. So uh, ChurchWorks began uh, last year uh, focused on a three-year arc. Um, and uh, when we met in Jacksonville, those that were able to join us in Jacksonville, Florida, we started a conversation about well-being. And uh, when we met in, uh, in uh, Jacksonville, we talked about well-being from the minister's perspective and why that is important and what are the signs of well-being for the minister. And uh, we had a great conversation about that. Um, and now that we are shifting into year two of this conversation in San Antonio, we're going to talk about well-being in the congregation. And uh, Dr. Garland here, uh, or sorry, uh, Dr. Singletary here will help us with that conversation as we uh, consider, um, again, signs of 
of well-being, of things that to look for in the church um, and the congregation that are ways of, of being holistically healthy in the church um, that from both the individual and for the, the, the entire congregation. And so we're going to have a conversation about that. Uh, and then to continue that three-year three art conversation, uh, in 2019, we will uh, continue and finish up the conversation as we look at the community and well-being. And that conversation will take place in St. Louis, Missouri uh, in February of 2019. Uh, so that's what we're focused on is this idea of well-being and trying to tie it all together of the individual, the congregation, and then the larger community that the, both the individual and the congregation serves. Uh, and so that's what we're focused on. And I look forward uh, to what John will lead with us as we uh, have this conversation here in a few months. Now, as, as I listen to you talk around uh, specifically this, this piece of the arc I guess if we're looking at it as an arc, you know, we're, we're right at the crest. <laughs> um, if, 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 based on the way you describe it, it sounds like this is something that um, not just clergy, but maybe even um, lay leaders should, should be a part of. Right. You know, in, this event uh, has been billed in the past as, as um, for Christian educators, and typically that's meant for those who do the vocational side of ministry or who are doing this, you know, vocationally, those who are on staff at, in churches. Uh, and that's still true. We want, you know, those who do the, the work in the church uh, as associate pastors, ministers of youth and pastors and all those. Um, but because of the conversation we're going to have to talk about uh, congregational well-being, it does lend itself to those who are lay leaders that perhaps if they're able to be a part of us, even for part of a day, um, as we meet on a, on a Monday, Tuesday, and, and then Wednesday morning, that perhaps they could come. So as, as our ministers are considering coming, they might have a lead team or a group of deacons or a group of, you know, their children's ministry team or someone like that that may um, want to join them and be a part of this conversation as we not only listen to John, and what he offers, and we'll, we'll spend a few minutes here letting John talk about what he's, he's going to focus on. But also, uh, as, as soon as we finish our keynote time with John, we use some small group time uh, to talk back with one another in the room in small groups about what we've heard. And not only what we've heard, but how it affects you in your own setting. Um, so that way you're not immediately listening to the good things that John has to say, but you're also able to absorb it. Uh, try to have a little feedback with another person and start to think about how you're going to take it back home with you. Uh, use it within your own context and think about it within your church. And so if you've got, a, you know, especially for those in Texas, if you've got people that can come with you to work, um, to, to listen with you and to give feedback together, it could be a place where some lay leaders could join alongside this conversation. Hmm. Yeah, and one of the things I've, I've appreciated about the way that you've designed church works over the last couple of years um, is it's not just about going and hearing, um, you know, a, a big big name speaker and uh, not not having the time to process that, but you've created within the schedule an intentional way to break up into small groups um, to. Um, as one of my old uh, college professors used to say, to chew the cud, you know, to process it a bit and right. um, see, see, you know, what it, what it feels like as you, you talk about it with other people. Um, you know, so there's not only that space that's designed for it, but also as you think around, if you are clergy and you have a specific um, 
role, uh, such as, you know, uh, associate pastor of children or students or missional ministry, or if you're uh, a church starter or pastor, you know, um, that there's going to be networks that you can break up and be a part of um, to talk about with other people who are also in similar settings as you. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. We, we try to design it. I mean, granted we're only there for, you know, a little over 48 hours, you know, total, uh, but we try to give enough time for for networks. Uh, we on the front end, we um, we have a, a, a set amount of time for networks to gather. We have some that are are, are you know have fully formed that like to gather at this time, and uh, they will do some of their own you know business so to speak as a network. And others that just want to use the time just to talk and get to know each other. Um, and so on Monday morning, we give that time. We help by providing lunch and space there at our our host church there, at Trinity Baptist in. Um, uh, they're in San Antonio. And so there's networking time, and then we move into our, our more scheduled time of where we'll hear from John, we'll have worship, we'll have small group time. Um, and, and then the other part of the schedule is we try not to be too full in the sense that we are done in the evenings and enough time for you to also enjoy being in San Antonio. And so we also want you as a as a, someone who's traveled and spending some time away from your typical schedule to come and enjoy being in the city, seeing friends or making new friends, going out and enjoying dinner and uh, doing, you know, some time um, just away from your typical schedule. So we don't want to over schedule either. Um, so we try to get a lot in, but not be overwhelmed with too much is, uh, is, is the goal of our, our time together at church works. So what I hear you saying and this is even before we even get to what John is going to be talking about at Church Works. Is there's basically no reason why uh, clergy shouldn't make this the retreat and conference they participate in in t- 2018? I, as one who's gone to, I don't know how many I've made now in, in a row, but uh, yeah, it's my. I agree. I, I don't know why you wouldn't wouldn't not come, and especially this year when you're you have such great content and a great uh, keynote coming this year. All right, so let's turn our attention uh, back to John. Um, Josh, why, why, why select John as the keynote around this topic? Well, a few reasons. Um, so first of all, because of well-being in the congregation, I've already alluded to that. I appreciate the good work that, um, that John and the School of Social Work there at Baylor are doing. And to me, it was kind of a no-brainer um, as we're thinking about that. Um, he and I participated on a conference call earlier this year, and, and John expressed some interest in what we were doing and just kind of started to make sense that all this was going to work well together. And so... Um, it, it fits into some of the passions that John is doing, uh, both in the school as well as some other things John's doing with the Enneagram, which I think he'll talk about here in a minute. Um, so all of these things fit well with our theme. And so I think it, it just is a natural fit with what we're trying to do and what John is doing, uh, both as, as an academic as well as, as a practitioner. Um, and then also um, with us being in Texas, it's a way for us to have a natural tie-in to one of CBF's uh, main partners there with Baylor and with Truett. Um, and so it's a way for us to highlight a partner. And so uh, I think that's a good way for us to be a good faithful partner uh, to, to one of our, our many great, great schools. Uh, and then the other reason for me personally is, is um, we had tried a few years ago um, before uh, Diana got sick. Um, and, and Diana Garland is definitely a friend to so many people, both her and David. Um, we had asked Diana to be a church work speaker in the past, and she had agreed before she got sick. And then, uh, of course, she got sick. And we all know that, you know, Diana fought courageously, but, but uh, ultimately ended up dying a few years ago. And so, um, 
this also helps for me in a sense, kind of lean back into that uh, fulfillment of, of not getting a chance to have Diana be at church works. And so um, having a, a, her name represented in this is, is another part of that for me and someone who is near and dear, not just to me, but to so many who have come through that school and come through her classes. So, uh, so lots of different reasons, but, but ultimately I, I trust John and I trust his wisdom and his, uh, his love for the church. And I know that he, he has a great, uh, passion for the well-being of our congregations. John, what's it uh, like sitting on a digital call and just having people say all kinds of nice things about you? <laughs> well, it, it, it is very nice. Thank you very much. I'm quite grateful for those comments, but I can't get Dr. Garland out of my mind now. She really was such a mentor uh, to me for so many years. Uh, wouldn't we all love to have her here speaking at this event? And I'm just grateful for all the ways I get to continue her good work, both in our community here and throughout the church network, including the CBF. Well, John, you certainly are are carrying that mantle forward and, and training so many um, wonderful uh, people as they're stepping into this vocational calling. Um, and and as we we turn our focus to this overarching theme of church works this year of, of congregational well-being. What are your hopes for, for your four sessions with us? Well, I really am ecstatic about this opportunity. Uh, of course, Diana wanted to be able to do this, and there's no way she was going to let me do it. And uh, she would always joke about me prying things out of her hand. <laughs> uh, I'm grateful that this one got passed on to me even through these difficult circumstances. And I'm sure she would laugh about that as well. When I think about it, I, I think about our, our work together for uh, the past decade. Uh, she started and then I led a center here at Baylor called the Center for Family and Community Ministries that was focused in large part on congregational and community well-being. A lot of the work of that center was focused around a a church census, we called it, that tried to understand the strengths and needs of congregations and then develop uh, strategies to respond to those based on the resources that were available to churches. And CBF helped sponsor that church census and uh, many congregations throughout uh, the fellowship uh, over the past decade. And then those, those trainings continued. Dr. Yancey on our faculty here is now running that center and is still uh, providing uh, those trainings and uh, some of the work that we've developed over the years will certainly be a part of, of what I'll share at, at Church Works. But just also mention the Enneagram. Uh, past decade or so, I've been a uh, someone who's been interested in the role that the Enneagram can play in congregational life is a, is a resource for spiritual formation. Uh, very interested in the, this spiritual life of not only ministers, but of uh, lay people, members of congregations. And one of the things that uh, is unique about the Enneagram is it's not just a tool that focuses on the nine personality types. That's what a lot of people know about the Enneagram is what is your number, the nine numbers. But the the reason there are nine numbers is it's a, it's a multiple of three. And there are three 
what psychologists call centers of functioning that I'm doing some writing about and others have written about. And basically we think about these as thinking, feeling, and doing. It also turns out that those are also dimensions of well-being. And there's a body of literature about organizational well-being, and I'm applying that to congregations, talking about how thinking, feeling, and doing contribute to healthy congregations. Said another way, we think about these as an intellectual, an emotional, and a physical domain of well-being. And the simplest way of talking about them is head, heart, and hand. Recently, my pastor here at Calvary, Mary Alice Birdwistle, led a sermon series thinking about the role of head, heart, and hand in our own congregation. So I'm using her as an exemplar of how this language can matter in the life of a church. And in, in the event, I'll, I'll talk about each of those three domains, each of those centers, each of those areas, and, and what they mean in, in, in the lives of our churches. We can each think of congregations that are more, that are more heady than others, that are head-based, that are thinking churches. And many churches take great pride in that, in that asset, that attribute of who they are. And there's a lot of value in churches that are logical in their orientation and critical thinking and gathering and sorting information and very planful. But it has a downside when churches over-rely on who they are as thinking churches. In CBF, we often think of ourselves that way, but we also think of ourselves as doing churches. We are a missional network, first and foremost. So we are a church that is about the work of our hands, about accomplishing the tasks of ministry, about engaging in, in ministry in real-world ways. So we are a doing network of churches. But as churches in evangelical life, by and large, we are a feeling body as well. We value the role of the heart in our worship and the ways that we connect relationally within the church and within the communities where we serve. And what I'll talk about is the ways that churches are typically dominated by one of these characteristics or another, or maybe a pair of them, but it's really difficult to balance all three of these. And what I'm emphasizing is that when we balance all three of these is when we have the healthiest sense of purpose as a congregation. We really experience congregational well-being when we find a way to balance our head, our heart, and our hands as a congregation. When we're able to, to work in ways that our thinking and feeling and doing all complement each other. So I'm excited to, to, to talk about these characteristics in the keynote sessions and also provide some questions and opportunities for conversation that, that really make it practical. What are ways we can strengthen these characteristics? And as Josh said, the, the meaningful networking and small group conversations, uh, breakout sessions that we have really do give us a chance to, to make this concrete uh, and practical and meaningful way. And I really look forward to that. Well, obviously, uh, there's very few of us that really love homework. Um, probably the threes of the Enneagram would uh, would say yes to that. Um, but what would you say is the best way to prepare for your keynote sessions? Well, Enneagram knowledge is not required. 
it's it's in the air these days. It's it's become much more uh, popular in Christian circles in, in recent years. Father Richard Rohr has made the Enneagram popular uh, because of the way that he's able to bridge uh, both action and contemplation, which is part of the name of his organization, but also the way that he is as popular among uh, the free church and evangelical traditions as he is within his home of Catholicism. And of course, Richard, uh, Father Rohr has written one of the most well-known books about the Enneagram from a Christian perspective, and, and that's the title of it, Enneagram, A Christian Perspective, real creative title there. But but even more recently, Suzanne Stabile, a Methodist uh, teacher, and Ian Cron, who's Episcopal, have written a book together uh, about the Enneagram entitled The Road Back to You. Mm-hmm. And their book has made it even more popular in, in congregation life. And so people all around are talking about their numbers and their personalities. And part of what we learn from that is our personality is not who we really are, it's who we've become, but sometimes it gets in the way of who God has truly made us to be. And so knowing knowing yourself, knowing about yourself, whether that's through knowing your number or knowing your Myers-Briggs type or knowing your strengths, self-awareness is a good thing in ministry, and uh, that's true for professional ministers as well as lay leaders. So I think knowing a little bit about personality work and the Enneagram is, is helpful. So you know, people can look at those two books I mentioned. The Enneagram Institute uh, has its own website that's easy to find. It has um, the most thorough online set of resources. Uh, they do offer a test to learn your number, but I don't recommend the test. You really learn your number by hearing other people tell stories and experiences of the nine numbers. But we really don't have time to get into that. And that's not really the focus uh, of the event. But but having some understanding can be helpful, but it's not really homework. I, I think just coming with an openness to, to thinking about these characteristics uh, is even more important. Um, and I don't know that there's anything I would assign in, in terms of how to come being able to anticipate learning some lessons about how our congregations are thinking churches, feeling churches, and doing churches. I mean, what one thing to do is just spend some time reflecting on those those three characteristics and, and see if you can identify ways that that your church reflects one of those more than the other, or ways you can think about how your church maybe seeks to balance those. You just deflated the intellectual balloon of threes, and then you reinflated it at the end, giving them hope that they could best prepare uh, for, for church works. Well, I am a three. I like to know that there is a way to be successful at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, I'm an eight weaving to a seven. We won't even get started on that today, but, um, so, uh, we, we know this podcast interview is the paramount of your year with church works being a close second, but what else is going on with you? Well, I am spending quite a bit of time, uh, in addition to all the time parenting those four children, whom I love dearly, just in case they get to the end of the podcast. Uh, But I'm spending quite a bit of time with the Enneagram. I'm doing an apprenticeship program with Suzanne Stabile, which has been a great experience. It's a three-year experience, so it's no small commitment. A big part of the focus 
is learning how to teach the Enneagram, but it's also a, an experience focused on spiritual formation and practicing uh, the contemplative life and centering prayer. And those things don't come natural uh, to me, uh, but I really uh, have appreciated this this commitment to learning about myself and about how to be centered and uh, live in a way that is more open to, to, to how God is at work and speaking my life just by listening to God's voice in a new way. Uh, the, Enneagram, the Enneagram has been a great tool for that. Uh, so it's, it's really been fun to get to spend time in a community of people of faith from a wide range of backgrounds coming together and, and learning this tool together. So John, uh, for church works, uh, and especially with those who are closest to San Antonio, um, part of my goal is that uh, we're talking about congregations and well-being. Um, and so the, what I see is that, you know, locally, the, the churches that are nearest there, San Antonio, uh, Houston, Waco, Austin, you know, those churches are the ones that are um, probably going to have the easiest time to get there. Not that, you know, churches in North Carolina and, and elsewhere, we don't want to come, but uh, those who are closest uh, and have more access to the school of social work, at least geographically, what what is it that, uh, what is it that they can, you know, uh, benefit from the School of Social Work, and not just from coming to church works, but just in general? What are some of the benefits of partnering with you and your school? Um, and what are some things that perhaps they may not know about that they should know about is that they can benefit from you um, if they're in the region or even if they're outside of the region there uh, in Texas? Well, I'm grateful for all the ways that we do get to, to partner with congregations. We have a long history in our school of having congregational internships. Students are placed in churches for an academic year, about eight months, who serve alongside the pastoral team, uh, who, who serve in the role of, of uh, minister and social worker in, in those congregational settings. And we have had students in churches from LA to DC and overseas so those aren't limited to just here in Texas, but of course we have more opportunities probably in Texas than other places. And it, it takes a, a little bit of work to set up an internship and we have to find the right student who's willing to, uh, to come and be a part of your specific congregation. And the church has a lot of say in that as well. They can identify uh, and interview students who, who are interested in being a part of this. Um, and students always have a great experience, and the congregations do too. It's always helpful for us to, to hear about new ways the churches are interested in utilizing uh, interns. And it's a way for us to introduce the role of social work and the diverse profession that we are into the life of a congregation. People often think of social work as that field that works in child welfare, where the people who take babies away or break apart families. And that's, of course, not at all who who we are, and child welfare is only one sliver of the profession. Mm. We work in a wide range of settings and opportunities with families really across the lifespan. We do as much work in gerontology mm -hmm. as we do in child welfare. We do quite a bit of work with adolescents. 
uh, and we work in all kinds of, of different settings. And, and in congregations, our social work interns demonstrate that they they work in children's ministry, but not just doing traditional children's ministry. But what can social work bring to that? How can social work help the church strengthen its partnerships in the larger community so that children in the community find a meaningful connection to your church through maybe school partnerships or partnerships with nonprofits that serve children. Those have been meaningful experiences. On the other end of the life spectrum, we've had interns and churches do the same thing in the field of gerontology. How do we take care of the, the needs of vulnerable older adults, both in the congregation and in the communities that congregations serve? So a, a Meals and Wills ministry, for example, is a great way that a church can connect with a local partner and have an intern build that bridge and make some meaningful connections with older adults in the community. Yeah. In addition, sometimes churches can help, uh, sometimes students in churches can help build other bridges with other community partnerships. One of the exciting projects we're working on right now is a partnership with the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. Yeah. Some of you are maybe familiar with American Sniper and the story of Chris Kyle. Yeah. Uh, after he passed away, his widow uh, founded uh, a foundation in Chris's name, and their primary uh, mission is strengthening military marriages. Mm. So they partnered with us to provide some training and equipping for military marriages, military and first responder marriages. So we put together a, uh, a weekend retreat for active service members as well as first responders and their spouses. And we're providing an ongoing six month curriculum that provides follow-up to the retreat to strengthen the skills uh, required for, for strengthening those marriages. And we've had a great experience with the 20 couples who are in our pilot project and we're looking to expand that next year. But part of that project is we've identified churches that are most open to working with uh, service members and veterans, and churches really struggle with that. We know we worship a, a prince of peace, but at the same time, we live in a country uh, where we value our, our, our national freedoms, and we struggle with the fact that we're at war, but we want to honor yeah. our service members and our veterans, and it creates a real tension within Christianity, and, and, and I get that. I really experience that, but we know that those marriages are vulnerable, and we know that as people of faith, we want to enrich those relationships. So it really has been a great chance for us to partner with some churches that say, we want to walk alongside those military couples, those first responder couples, and try to make them uh, experience uh, the most out of their marriage uh, that they can. So, you know, occasionally there are unique opportunities like that for us to really partner with an, an outside organization as well as a congregation to, to really try to make a, a pretty significant impact in our society. Hmm. That sounds like beautiful, beautiful work, John. Yeah. Well, ChurchWorks is a three-day event for all practitioners of education and spiritual formation in a congregational setting. ChurchWorks creates space for renewal and ministry through practices of creativity, community, and worship. To teach the people of God, educators need a place to be equipped, to be inspired, and to be renewed. Church work will take place at Trinity Baptist Church in San Antonio, Texas, February 26th to the 28th, with John Singletary as the keynote speaker. The event will take place at Trinity's TriPoint Campus, which has an amazing coffee shop right in the gathering space. 
You can visit cbf.net backslash cw backslash churchworks for more information and to register for the event. If you register by January 1st, you'll get the early bird rate. And for seminary students, it's only $30 to attend. John, we look forward to learning from you. And Josh, we look forward to basking in your awesomeness. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you for joining the conversation today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun, and I really do look forward to seeing you in person at the event and to everyone else who will join us. This week's podcast is also brought to you by CYTI, Campbell University Youth Theological Institute. CYTI invites students ages 14 to 18 to stand at the intersection of faith and vocation, beginning with a two-week summer residential experience at Campbell University. During the two weeks, students explore their own stories of who God is calling them to be and what God may be calling them to do. Students spend time with our faculty, industry leaders, and service agencies, experiencing and reflecting on the disciplines of social entrepreneurship, restorative justice, public health, engineering, and congregational leadership, as well as how to positively impact their communities through faith, work, and volunteerism. Our goal is for students to begin to understand their gifts, interests, talents, and passions as ways in which God may be preparing them for their work in this world. Limited space is available for the summer of 2018. Learn more at campbell.edu backslash CYTI or find Campbell Youth Theological Institute on Facebook. Also check back regularly for our blog posts and information about one-day student faith and vocation events in January. As we let you go, we want to thank you, the listeners, for joining these conversations twice a month. If you have authors, practitioners, or ministers that you would love to feature in one of our podcasts, shoot me an email at ahale at cbf.net. We also want to thank the School of Divinity at Gardner-Webb University, as well as ChurchWorks for sponsoring today's episode. Visit cbf.net for more information about the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship.